nearly everybody on the road drives faster than the posted speed limit. And many of them are Christians. Are they sinning? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. So many of the posted speed limits people ignore them because they say they're illogical, they're irrational, they make all kinds of reasons. Sometimes they don't seem to make any sense whatsoever. But the civil magistrate put them up, but yet the Bible usually, when it gives authority to the civil magistrate, it's, it's negative law. It's do not murder, what the response should be to murdering. And yet this is positive law. So do Christians have to obey the posted speed limits? So if I understand the way that you're framing this, there's sort of, hey, I, I speed, I like to speed, I like to speed kind of for two reasons. Um, <laughs> Don't put those words in my mouth, Jonathan. <laughs> I'm, they're in my mouth, coming out of it. Um, but that, that, that hey, I, you know, everybody's speeding. So is it really that big of a deal? And besides that fact... It seems like you can make a biblical case that the government is overstepping their God-given authority in creating speed limits. And in that kind of case where the government is doing something it shouldn't be doing, does that give me the authority to disregard their imposition on me? Is that Does that kind of frame it the right way? You know, I know you use the words negative law, positive law. I mean, those are kind of technical. Basically, does it come down to— government doesn't have the right to do this therefore do i have to obey yeah i think that's that's the framing of the question is is what does it mean that you know to submit to a civil magistrate right because it's more than just speeding speeding is perhaps the easiest example of a crime that you can commit over and over again with no consequences but there, there, there could be a lot of other examples and it's one that I think is widely accepted in Christian circles that, hey, everybody speeds. And they shouldn't really be posting the speed limits anyway. So, and, or maybe they post them, but people don't really care about them. So it's not really sinning if you speed because the civil magistrate doesn't really enforce it anyway. Because it's just a financial penalty or it's just, I mean, they'll make all kinds of different arguments for it. Even though it's not just a financial penalty. But I mean, you know, there are categories and there are states where it is where it can be purely financial. And the reason that we're asking the question is because the Bible's really clear about authorities and the importance of authorities. It doesn't say anything about speed limits. Yeah, but it says stuff about authorities, so let's start there. Okay. <laughs> Romans 13, 1 and 2, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. You know, before you go into all the other theological reasons about how they shouldn't do this or they, you know, it needs to start with an attitude towards authority. And God is really clear. Be subject to them. If you resist them, you're resisting God, you know, and you're bringing judgment upon yourself. So the default should be we should obey speed limits or we should expect the judgment of God. And, you know, we did a podcast on directly on this subject. When is it right for Christians to disobey the civil magistrates? And I, you know, we're not going to completely overlap with what that podcast said. Probably only, you know, 95%. No, but, probably a lot less than that. But, but you know, that, I mean, that we, we talked about in that podcast that there's a lot of examples where it's right to disobey. In fact, it's mandatory to disobey. Um, but on the other hand, there is this basic command that, the civil magistrates, including at this time, you know, godless Roman emperors who were killing Christians, is the default response to them is to obey, such that when Paul gives this command about the Roman authorities, he doesn't even qualify it with saying, obey them unless X, Y, and Z. He just says, don't resist them. And I think, especially when you look at the example when he's in the jail at Philippi. He's unjustly pr- imprisoned, right? They don't have—the earthquake comes, and he would really easily be able to say, oh, the earthquake was sent by God to free me. Look, Peter got freed with an earthquake. Um, <laughs> yeah. Instead, he goes and he stays in his cell, and he not only stays in his cell, but he persuades everybody else to stay in their cell. So when you look at Paul, it's really hard to make the argument where he's going, but it's unjust what they're doing, so you can ignore them. He's saying even then he submitted to the Philippian jailer, in the the you know civil magistrate, even though they were unrighteous, and I think it's really interesting because when you when you read a verse like Romans you know thirteen one and two, 
it, there's a lot of debate about that out there today. I mean, that's, it gets brought up constantly. And it's it's kind of funny because we just Roe versus Wade was just overturned. And when you look at the abortion debate, Christians look at people who make – when people want to defend abortion, what they do is they go to the, the the most extreme things that they can do, and then they want to justify abortion across the board. And within the Christian community, Christians kind of do the same argument for disobeying the civil magistrate. They'll, you know, what? so what you're saying is if the civil magistrate makes a law that says that I can't drive a vehicle ever on Sunday unless I stab my son in the side of the head, you know what I mean? Just, they'll just go to these ridiculous, ridiculous places, and then they'll come back and their answer will be, so it's okay if I speed. And they do the exact same thing as, as they do the exact same thing that we that we rightfully mock people for doing and trying to justify abortion, but we end up doing it and we're we're going against God's word. And it's a really it's a really dangerous position to be in to say, when can I justify? You know, how can I get away with just basically being able to ignore the authorities that God has put in my life? Because you know, those extreme cases do happen sometimes, and they're worth discussing in certain cases. But the point of using an example like this is that, you know, saying don't drive above 55 is not saying don't worship God. It's not saying, you know, send your children to public schools. So it's it's a much it's one that becomes a lot harder to defend why you can ignore what the civil magistrate says. But people usually when I've had this argument and this might surprise people, but I've had it in church quite a bit. You know, as they go to something like First Peter 2, 13 and 14, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of, the, of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king is supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of, him, of those who do good. And they basically, that's the positive law argument, is that they're setting the speed limit. It doesn't mean that it's, it's you're an evildoer if you do more than that speed limit. That's not doing evil. So therefore, how can they restrict that? Because they're only thing that they're allowed to do. They could praise you for going 55 miles an hour, but they can't penalize you for going more than 55. And so it's really not for the punishment of evildoers. So it's outside of the jurisdiction of the civil magistrate. They don't have the right to do it. So therefore you don't have to obey it. That's the argument that I usually get back. When you have the argument, you get by that. What are you talking about? But you look up a little further and the context starts with submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. I mean, that's – okay, so how does any of that affect submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake? And you look at Paul, again, the example of Paul where he, where he does – when he's going to do the – to fulfill his, his vow – when he goes to Pentecost and goes into the temple and he submits and he pays for other people and does all this stuff because his attitude is an attitude of submission, not an attitude of what can I get away with? Where can I push the boundary? And Christians are supposed to have an attitude of submission to the authorities that God appointed. Now, if they're in rebellion to God and they're commanding you to do something contrary to God, then obviously you have to obey God, not man. But Everybody's hard attitude should be, that's a Christian, should be, I'm glad God put authorities in my life. I'm g- glad God put authorities in our society. And so they're a blessing. So why am I saying they're a curse? I mean, and fundamentally, that's what it comes down to is, is what do you think about authority? What do, you, what do you think it means for somebody to have authority, for somebody to have God-given authority, for that matter? Are they allowed, are they allowed to make mistakes? Are they allowed to sin in the exercise of their authority, and yet you still be required by God to follow that authority? Right. And, you know, kind of fundamental, I think, to the nature of obeying authority is that you obey them when you don't think that they made the right decision. Because otherwise, you're not obeying an authority. You're just taking their advice and adopting it because you agree with it. So if you are saying this person has authority, that means there are times when they tell me to do something and I disagree with them, but I do it anyway. Otherwise, they're not an authority. Right. I mean, and it's, it's again, it's very easy to see this as a parent. You know, as a parent, there are times where I've made decisions that weren't the best decisions and I still expected my children to obey me. And you recognize that you, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You recognize, and, and you, and you, 
you're going to stand before God for all those things, but the fact that you stand, you're going to stand, you also hope that God will have mercy on you, that you were trying to make the best decision you could, and all those things you use to justify your use of your authority. And then you turn around and you look at your authorities over you and you go, how dare you? make a, a rash you know a dis- decision that That's i don't contrary to my view <laughs> right and and it's it's just it's really it's really very evil it's very evil of us because in the end we we want the protection for our own use of authority and if we were a leader most of us if we were a civil magistrate most of us would do worse than a lot of them do i mean there's a real i mean and there's a real part of it where there's a reason why God doesn't make some of us, you know, some of us don't have more authority than we do. There's a re- I mean, and, and I'm not saying it's always because we're just evil, horrible people, but I am just saying there's a part of it where we it shouldn't— different talents to different people. Right, and we shouldn't look at it and go, you know, it's so easy to armchair quarterback. It's so easy to, to say why, you know, leaders are making stupid decisions. It's really difficult to lead. And when we think about that and we think the importance of it, we should consider verses like Second Peter 2, 9 through 11. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They're presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. God has really strong things to say about if you reject authority. If you reject authority, you're walking according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. You're despising authority. And if you, if you despise the authorities that the Lord appointed, don't think you don't despise the Lord. One of the examples that he's using or that he uses in Jude for a similar thing is that even against Satan, the archangels won't make an accusation before God. They won't, like, go, I mean, and we think that we can slander them and we can, and no, God is saying that is not how you treat people who he gave, even rebellious like the Satan, like Satan, that he gave authority. Right. It's one of the, we did an episode about the Let's Go Brandon and how, you know, people speaking about Joe Biden, about President Biden and about other leaders. And there's, I mean, there's this real, it's really easy to speak ill of, of dignitaries. And I mean, I, th- I mean, just that verse, I was really quiet after you read it because it was sinking in. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. And I mean, that seems to suggest that angels don't speak against earthly rulers. I mean, that is in heaven, angels in heaven in the th- before the throne of God at the time that this was written, the things that these, some of these di- leaders were doing were reprehensible. I mean, that's, I mean, just, and I think right. there's a part of it where, I mean, that you just need to sit there and read that and let that sink in. And I mean, it's, it, it, we need to teach, we need to teach our children this. I mean, it's, you know, do you teach your children to speak respectfully to you? Do you teach your children to speak respectfully to authorities? Do you teach your children? I mean, and, and, do you model this before them? Or do you teach them that when they're children, they can't speak evil of authorities, and when they grow up, they can? And their children, they're just waiting for the time when they can be unlawful. When, when they, they can be like their father. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, and it's, a, it's a really important thing. I, I, mean, I mean, like I said, I, I need to go back and read the verse <laughs> again. I mean, it's, 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 it condemns a lot. You look at the nation— you look at Twitter, you look at you look at Facebook. You look at conversations after church on Sunday at churches about President Biden. Right. Let's not go to Twitter, let's not go to Facebook. Let's go to what happens in the church. How many people have no fear whatsoever about speaking evil of a dignitary? Well, some of us were going to go there, but we just got cut off. So. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so one thing is people make the argument that it's outside of their jurisdiction. And understand the underlying thing is that they want to push away authorities over them. But is it really outside of the jurisdiction of the civil magistrate? No. Why it's not? not? <laughs> I mean, there's – I mean – so God gives people authority over an area, and he does give his word, and he does give his instruction on how to do these things. But in the end, the people that are there, they have to make decisions based on the people they are ruling over. They have to make decisions based on what the—and there's this part of it where there were, you know, if you look at what we have done as a nation, we have rejected teaching ourselves to constrain ourselves. 
we have rejected the idea of self-constraint. We have, you know, so the idea of self-government, hey, it's a great idea. It requires Christianity to be taught. It requires Christianity to be taught to everyone. And if you're going to reject that idea, you're going to have to constrain the pub. You're going to have to constrain people, and you're going to have to constrain them through laws. And there's just really nothing else that's going to constrain them. So there's this part of it where they've been given, they've been given authority over a people who are increasingly lawless. And the way you deal with that is you increase the pressure of the law against them to constrain them. So there's this part of it where I think when people see this, they really have a lot of times they have no sense for how ruling actually works. They have no, I mean, and they look at themselves when their children act in certain ways toward them. They do, they understand they understand how you know your children are increasing in their attitude towards you. You have to push back on them. You really have to deal with those things. But then when they see the government do the same thing, they act like they're they're behaving in some ridiculous way. When in reality, they're they're not behaving in a ridiculous way. It may be it may be against God's law. It may be that they're not understanding the way that man was that the way that God wants man to be ruled. It may not be the best way. Right. But, but in the end, they're mean... ruling over the people that, that God has given them to rule over. I mean, you know, because, I mean, the the question, is it outside their jurisdiction? Well, you know, what what do you mean by outside and what do you mean by jurisdiction? You know, is it something that is that's violating someone else's jurisdiction? Is it Or is it something that they, you know, if they're following God's instruction on civil magistrates closely, is it something that they would do? Um, but, you know, but you look at the purpose that God put leaders in place, uh, which is to punish those who do evil and reward those who do good. Um, so, but, and, you know, the way that with the speed limits, they are trying to constrain evil. I mean, they're trying to stop people from driving recklessly and killing other people. Right. So, you know, we can disagree with the way that they choose to do it, but, it does, but the, their motive, you know, their motive is a good motive. And people will tell you, people who speed, a lot of them, they speed relative to the speed limit. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, and, there's, I mean, and they, they recognize that they speed relative to the speed limit. Most of them don't go out if it's 35 and they don't drive 140 miles an hour. They drive a certain amount over Unless 30. it's 4 in the morning or something. <laughs> right. I mean, but, I mean, but, I mean, there's just this part of it where, I mean, and so they, there's even a part of it where even their testament to how they rebel against it is relative to the laws that have been given. So they're even, they're even acknowledging the fact that the laws are constraining their actions. Right. And we, which, you know, yeah, something like I set my speedometer 10 miles an hour over the speed limit or set my cruise control. Right. <laughs> my speedometer. <laughs> it doesn't matter how fast I go. It always reads the same thing. How fast are you going, Joshua? I was going 65. Yeah. <laughs> setting it, it's setting in my driveway. <laughs> but, and it's not really the point we're trying to make here. But I think if you look at the research the people have done on speed limits. I'm not sure how well it actually works because they've done studies where they've like varied the speed limit, you know, and seen do, do people actually modify their behavior based on the speed limit. Um, and the research I've seen shows that no, the speed limit does not modify the behavior of enough people that it's noticeable. You know, if they're set it to 10 miles an hour and they have police officers there, that's different. But if they're, you know, lowering it 10 miles an hour, raising it, it's not changing it because most people are just Unenforced drive. Unenforced speed limit versus enforced speed limit is kind of what you're R- Right. I mean, but enforced by a police officer sitting there. But, right. but you know, because most people drive at a speed that they think is safe regardless of what the speed limit is. And the reality is is sometimes the speed limits do make it less safe because – the the safety on the road is mostly related between the av- or what the normal highest speed is and the normal lowest speed. The bigger that gap is, the more accidents you have, right? And the, so that's why they lower speed limits down to twenty five when you go into a city is because people are stopping and turning into places and they're not and they're pulling out of places. So you want people to go slower. And but sometimes they artificially lower the speed limit where you have a four lane road, but they're trying to get people to pull into stores and stuff. So they lower the speed limit. And then people like you're saying, Joshua, they usually just ignore that speed limit. They go, there aren't enough people pulling off to make it worthwhile. And so, you know, they start out with the desire to constrain evil. They start out with the desire to bring order and order is a good thing. And then, you know, politics still gets in it. But that doesn't mean you don't have to obey them. Because they are an authority, and as an authority, they get to make the rules. That's what it means. And so you might look at it and say, well, it doesn't really work. You may look at it and say they do it wrong sometimes. That actually increases the danger. But in our country, we have other ways to appeal it, and the way to appeal it is not to just ignore the law. I mean, I would think that the 
it's hard not to go and keep looking at family life as a model for this and thinking about this. If you think about as a father, how many times, maybe you don't, but, but I'm willing to admit that the number of times where I've said, we're going to do such and such this way. And what I've determined is not the best way. It's not the most efficient way. It's not the kindest way. And God will make me answer for that someday. But did my children have a responsibility to do that? Assuming I wasn't asking them to sin. Did, did my children have a responsibility to wash the dishes in a less efficient way because I said, I want it done this way? Absolutely. And that's for their good to learn to obey in that kind of a situation. Right. I mean, I think with speed limits, two things that, that give Christians excuses to disobey it. And one is most policemen don't feel bound by it at all. You talk to policemen, they aren't bound by it. If they get stopped, they'll just say, I'm a police officer. They'll let them go. And that's you mean a, like an off-duty police officer. Right, an off-duty police officer. Right, not when they're running with – and legally they're not allowed to go above the speed limit unless they have their siren on, and they do it all the time. So even on duty, they're violating the law. But yet – and so it makes people think this law isn't very serious because the people who are supposed to be enforcing it, they feel no – compulsion to obey it but that's a that's the sin of the civil magistrate you know leviticus 19:15 says you shall do no injustice in judgment you shall not be partial to the poor nor honor the person of the mighty in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor and the fact that the civil magistrate isn't doing that because if they let police go they're not doing that right they're they're honoring the person of the mighty the guy that can pull out the badge they'll go just go ahead and leave and that's inherently wrong, but the fact that they're doing things wrong doesn't give you an excuse to do things wrong. You sound just like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> you sound just like me talking to my children. I mean, it is. It really. It really. I mean, and I. I, I know we've we've talked about it multiple times tonight, but it is one of these things where I think it's an important principle of Christianity is that authority. The fundamental nature of authority doesn't change between authorities. What changes is the scope, the jurisdiction, the, 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 the things that they can speak to. But the nature of authority doesn't change. And so, I mean, there is this part of it where, I mean, how many times have you told your children the fact that you don't catch your other children doing certain things or that you make bad decisions or that you see, they see somebody getting away with something that it doesn't mean they – you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's so fundamental to our understanding of right and wrong, and yet we still turn around and we use it as an excuse. I wanted to object earlier when we read the Peter passage and you looked at it and like, oh, well, but I'm not a dignitary. Because that's not true. Right. In certain contexts, you are a dignitary. I'm not a dignitary. Right. Dan doesn't have to treat me with a special <laughs> but, dignity. But that, other than the dignity that we owe you. But it, it matters, yes, though, that, it does. that you know, you're a dignitary with people who are watching you as subordinate to you and yet seeing how you react to other dignitaries. Right. And, it, it, you know, whether it's simply you're a parent with children or whether it's even smaller than that, you're just an older child who's got limited delegated authority. Or maybe you're a boss, maybe you're an elder, maybe you're a civil magistrate. You know, pretty much everybody has is a dignitary in some context or other. And that matters. It does. And, and we've lost, because we've lost the idea of that, it's caused us to have no no empathy. We've lost our ability to empathize with other authorities because we've lost the fact that we are authorities and we're authorities in real ways that, you know, if a parent ever undercuts the authority of another parent, they're, we're doing exactly the same thing as when somebody pulls over a police officer and says they don't have to, you know, I mean, there's this part of it where we're, we're treating people with partiality. We're treating other authorities with partiality. And God's created the world so that even though we all are at different levels of power and authority, we have this obligation to each other to acknowledge real areas that we have. I mean, I think that's a really useful point. I think it's, yeah, it's something that as a church, the church doesn't spend a lot of time talking about complexity. And God has made the world so it's complex. God's made the world so that if we emphasize the things that he has emphasized, we'll see that depth and that richness and be able to think about things in a better way. And on the other hand, we spend time making things complicated that aren't that complicated, like speeding. <laughs> like, should you speed? Well, you know, no, no move you shouldn't, on. you know? Right. And, you know, and one thing that, that happens, too, you know, when you're talking about how this relates to, you know, family authority is, 
you know, if you're driving down the road and you're the normal person who speeds, you know, who drives however fast they want to drive, and then you see a police officer, then you're going to hit your brakes. And your children in the back will know that you hit your brakes. And they will see the police officer. And they will say, wait a second. So my parents only obey the law when the police are watching them. Yep. And so your, your actions are speaking louder than your words, saying obedience is about not getting caught when you do things wrong, which is, uh, which is a bad thing to be telling your kids. If you think that that's a model for good parenting, I mean, you're just raising sociopaths. <laughs> Wow, that's harsh. <laughs> you sped right to that one, didn't but, you? <laughs> I mean, but but no, but I'm saying that like nobody thinks this is what I want my children to be. Or I mean, if you do, then you know you're an sociopath. Exactly. You're raising your children to be like you, right? But but realistically, you want your children to obey you, especially when you're not watching, especially when you're not there. And that's what you tell them all the time, and then. The demonstration of that, and I think there's lots of men in lots of churches that have done that lots of times, and they're teaching their children, do not listen to me unless I'm in the room with you. And then they complain that I walk out of the room and everybody disobeys. Well, that's what you taught them. That's what you told them was the right thing to do. And, you know, the Bible talks about don't be men pleasers. Don't just be there so that you're giving them eye service so that they see you. And then that means that you're, that you're doing what, you, what they want you to do when they can see you. That's not what we should be training our children to do. And when we do that with police officers, which is very incredibly common, then, yeah, that's exactly what you're going to train them to do is to just be obedient when they're seen. Yeah, and you, you referenced this verse, but just to read it, Colossians 3.22, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. So there's that requirement to not be, uh, to not do eye service, that you're only serving when the authority's eyes are upon you. And I mean, one thing, we kind of talked about this with the policemen, but I want to go back to that, where the policemen get away with speeding. And it's important for us to recognize it's supposed to be the opposite. Like if you read 1 Timothy 5, 19 through, 20, 19 through 20, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. The police officer that speeds, they should make more of an example of him than other people. But I think they've learned from the church not to do that. And the reason that I say that they've learned from the church not to do that is how often have elders, right, the, the SBC started, and there's real problems with this because I don't think they're following due process. They're putting rumors and stuff in there. But they're creating a database of pastors that have had some sexual accusations in the past with some level of, of uh, you know, verification, but not, you know, that they were tried. You know, that would be a lot different to have a database of people that were tried. But when you do that, the reason that they're starting to do that is because there's been all this sexual stuff that was hidden in churches for decades, like the Roman Catholic Church. Not that that's a church, but the Roman Catholics, they, they knew that children were being molested. They knew that little boys were being molested for, for decades, and they did nothing about it. But you look at and there's so many churches, so many places that call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, and they say an authority should be held to a lower standard. You know, we've seen it in churches that we've been in. You hold authorities to lower standards than you hold other people. Well, that's how you get to the point where the police speed. You've already said it's fine to, to hold authorities to a lower standard. And it starts in the home, too. Do you hold yourself at a lower standard than your children? And it's very easy to do that. It's, in, I mean, it's incredibly easy to do that. And this is when Scripture talks about provoking your children to wrath. I mean, when when you see a police officer being treated in this way, it causes anger. And when you do this in the home, it causes your children to have anger because they re, they resent. They begin to resent you. They begin to resent the law, and they begin to get, they begin to resent God who made the law, who you are claiming that this is just, and it's and it's exactly the same all the way up. And I think there's this part of it where I mean, it does cause people to become angry. It causes people to have to have wrath against their government because they see fundamental injustice. 
And, you know, if we're talking about holding people to a different standard than you keep, it's probably good to say that the point of this podcast isn't to say, look at us. We never break the speed limit. Follow our example because we're perfect. You know, maybe someone else here wants to say that. But, you know, when I drive, I accidentally speed sometimes. And, you know, am I I'm not as careful at times to not speed as I should. Right. But, you know, I think it's the type of thing where, you know, it's kind of could be a metaphor for sin because, you know, there's the person that gets in the car and does not care about the speed limit um, or even sees how fast they can drive and get away with it. And then there's also the person who sometimes violates the speed limit, but they're trying to not speed. And, you know, so as Christians, you know, we all will sin in our lives many times. But the question is, are we, you know, being sanctified? Are we trying to fight against that sin versus not trying to fight it in any way. And I mean, there's a third category too, which is the people who are going, I'm not going to go as fast as I want to go, but I'll always go 10 miles an hour over the speed limit or whatever the number is, right? They choose a number and they go, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'll set my, my cruise control to. Even if it's one mile, and let's be honest, even if it's one, one mile, mile over, still. there's a part of, I mean, I've, when I decided I was going to obey the speed limit, Sometimes I would get a, a, a little thrill out of setting. Well, my speedometer is probably a little bit off, <laughs> so I'll just set it a mile over. And I mean, I'm, and I'm, I'm not kidding. There's a part of it where that satisfied my desire to sin at times. And I mean, so I mean, just we shouldn't, we shouldn't think that like you know, you're always the the desire to sin is always tied to the action, you know, the act of it. And you increase your constraints, you just sin smaller. But it just takes smaller things to satisfy. Right. You're gonna be happy if your kid goes to the cookie jar and they don't eat. A cookie. They just take a crumb. You know, is that ob- obeying? <laughs> right. And, and if they're doing it very specifically because they know that you said no cookies after this time. One of the reasons that I raise that is we should recognize that that is still rebellion to authority, like you were saying. That the fact that we're constrained by the commandment, that we're constrained by the law, doesn't mean that we're desiring to obey the law. The person who goes, well, you know, 55, but they'll never stop you if you're within five miles. So they've said that's okay. So then you set it to 60, saying they'll never stop me for this. And they probably won't ever stop you for that. But it doesn't really mean that you have a heart to obey. Right. Versus the person that Joshua was talking about where you're going, you know, it's downhill and you're not paying attention. And you end up going five miles an hour to the speed, over the speed limit. That's fundamentally very different. That's the picture of the Christian who's trying to obey but isn't as diligent, isn't as careful, isn't as protective of themselves as they should be, so they sin versus the person who's planning to sin but they don't want to sin too much or that would really cause negative consequences versus the person who just goes, yeah, whatever, I don't care, right? And so you kind of see all three of those categories in speeding. I mean, to map it back to, again, using the family just to kind of understand our nature, we are... I have children who are openly rebellious, and I have children who are better at playing the game. And the children who play the game, there's a tend- there's a temptation sometimes to go, they make me happy because they know how far to push their sin. And the truth is, is it's really a curse in the long run because the child who rebels against you, they get, they get dealt with. They get confronted. The child who does this, they get dealt with. The child who plays the game, you don't know what they're doing. You don't know where they're taking excesses. So much of it is just they've they've learned to mold their sin to you in a way that doesn't cause you problems, so you overlook their sin. And frequently it really comes to bite you later on. And so, I mean, there's this part of it where the person who believes that because they've made their sin acceptable to the culture— that somehow they're doing a good thing. In the end, really, they're just they're just heading towards destruction. They're just going there without anybody ever stopping them and saying, you're headed towards destruction. Do you understand that? But I do think that at the same—you're saying for that person, but the reality is for society, the fact that most people don't go more than 10 miles an hour over the speed limit is a real blessing. It is. Right? And oh, so, I- so it's like it doesn't bless them. It doesn't make them more right with God. It doesn't make them have a heart to obey authorities. They're just afraid of the authority. But yet at the same time, it really helps society. I mean, and when you think of speed limits, I mean, God is a God of order, right? He is not a God of confusion. And speed limits are about bringing order to the roads. And God clearly gives the 
the right to, you know, like with the elders, he says to, to the elders, set things in order according to your wisdom, and then, you know, I'll fix it when I get there. And this is what authorities do, is they are supposed to bring order out of disorder. And so when we even think of, of you know, is this sin, is this evil? One of the evils, confusion is an evil. And think what the roads would be like if there were no stop signs, if there were no stoplights. Because the people who say that, they almost always just point to speed limits. They don't point to everybody, everything else, and say, oh, they shouldn't tell us to stop at street corner. You know, when roads intersect, they go, well, no, I like that order. I just don't like them ordering me what speed to drive. But yet, it's all the same route, which is authorities were appointed to put order out of chaos. And if you don't, I mean, if you don't recognize what a blessing that kind of order is, just go to almost anywhere else in the world, with the exception of a few places in Europe. Go anywhere else in the world where they don't have the same level of traffic laws and traffic signage and lines painted on the road. And expectation of adherence to law. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and recognize how much your life is at peril to be out on those roads. Right. They are more fun to drive on. <laughs> because because you're not rebelling against authority when you go 100 miles an hour. <laughs> but, you know, but some in some of these, those countries, you know, they have the rules, just no one follows them. So, you know, it kind of comes down to, you know, is this a society where people keep the rules, where people are orderly? Or even, you know, even if you took away a lot of the traffic rules in America, it would probably be okay if you, for a lot of them because most people drive orderly. But, you know, if you're teaching your children obey the rules, disobey the rules whenever you want to, you're breaking that down in a way that even the law is unable to constrain. And if we didn't have the laws, at first everybody would still act according to those laws because they saw the blessing of it, but over time it would decay. I mean, it, the laws do help preserve it. So some of these things that we look and we say people like things orderly, well, the reason they like things orderly is they've seen the benefits of order. But you go to a lot of countries where people have never seen the benefits of order, and they go, I don't want it to be orderly. And what you end up having a situation of is where the those with power end up, you know, and, and you go to countries, you know, we had uh, Zingak Deshi on here talking about the difference between the United States and, and Nigeria, and he said basically, you know, if you're a big truck, you go where you want to go. And if you're a little car, you just do your best to keep from getting crushed. And I mean, and that ends up, and this is what the law was intended to do, was the law was intended to make it so there's no difference between the big truck and the little car. I mean, this is one of the purposes of the law, like I said, to establish order and to establish to establish equity, to establish a, you know, a that both will be treated the same way. One of the ways it does it is it's pretty clear in most cases that the, the point of the laws is to define liability. You know, you, you are responsible. And let's say an accident happens. Well, all of those laws, all of those traffic laws in the background, let the, the investigators know who is at fault because that's really critical. Right. And it's one of the constraints on your recklessness is to right. say you could be considered at fault in this case. And someone else could be innocent. And now they've even moved it so you're, in a preliminary sense, you're considered at fault because they give you points on your license, which increases your insurance because they're basically saying you're likely to be at fault in the future, which is how they tie it back to the speeding ticket. All of a sudden, your insurance goes up because, like you said, they're trying to assign that fault with who's going to be more likely to have an accident later. And even though it's not fault, it's still you're more liable. And if you want to say, well, the biblical law would be you can drive as fast as you want, but if you're driving 90 miles an hour and you kill a pedestrian, well, you're executed. Well, okay, that's nice, and that's probably, you know, is that more biblical? Seems more biblical to me, but wait till you're in uh, in office and you put that and make that the law, then go for it. But until then, there's responsibility to obey the magistrate, the authority that God has put over us. My wife did a little bit of missions work in a in a country where, the, the locals told her that if you wanted to cross the street as a pedestrian, don't make eye contact with the drivers. If you don't make eye contact, then they'll stop. If you make eye contact, then they know that you've seen them, and they'll just they'll just plow on. I mean, it was kind of a joke, but not really. If through all this we haven't convinced you not to speed, one thing you'd need to do whenever you disobey a civil magistrate is you need to, you know, what's worse is to slam on your brakes when you see that cop car. I mean, that is, that is 
like you said, that raises your children to be sociopaths, which may have been a little harsh, but <laughs> maybe not. If you want that, then you're raising your children to be sociopaths. Otherwise, you're just raising them to be hypocrites. But, you know, Daniel, that's not how he acted. Daniel 6, 10, 11. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, and this is the writing where Darius basically made it illegal to make a petition to any other god. After that, he went home, and in his upper room, when his window, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and made supplication before his God. So if you're going to do it, if you say, no, this is wrong for the civil magistrate to do this, then don't, don't be a hypocrite. Do it. If you're going to say, I should speed, and they don't have the right to speed, then do that. Don't play this game where you're going, I'm going to obey them when they see me, and I'm not going to obey them when they don't see me. Nobody can say that they're following a biblical principle of the civil magistrate doesn't have the right to do this, and then hit the brakes. You just don't. You're saying, I don't have to obey it, but I'm not willing to accept the consequences. Like Peter and John, when they go in and say, we must obey God, not man, they got beaten. I mean, it wasn't that they just went, oh, look at this. Nothing's going to happen to us. Instead, they took the punishment and they rejoiced that they got punished for the name of Christ. There are times where it makes sense to break the law, not because you think that you're breaking the law in a way the civil magistrate would reject. Like if you're driving with your pregnant wife to the hospital and, you know, the head's crowning and you're going, I need to, you know, <laughs> I, it's unsafe for me to try to deliver the baby here. So I'm going to drive fast to the hospital. You know, in that case, what you're saying is I'm obeying the spirit of what I believe the civil magistrate wants, and I'm willing to accept the punishment if they don't do it. And the reality is, is there's been plenty of times where this has happened, where the policeman will stop and then they'll give you a police escort because they go, this was the purpose. And so you can at times break laws. And I think it's important to have that, that picture because it's like you tell your children not to run at home. There's a point where if the house is on fire, you want them to run and you want them to understand that that what they're supposed to be doing is pleasing the authority. And sometimes the authority is not pleased by you following the letter of the law. That's very different than God because he's perfect. But man doesn't write laws that are that great. And so they inherently have some exceptions in them where they go, no, this makes sense. Right. The, the, the human authorities are incapable of writing laws that are so granular that they could cover every contingency. And in fact, one of the sins we've made is making laws super gra- – I mean, one of the ways we've sinned against ourselves in some ways is by making more and more granular laws. But I mean, I think just really emphasizing the point is you have to have unfeigned faith that you are doing something that the civil magistrate would want you to do under the law. Right. And, and that is really key there because it's so easy to lie to yourself and it's so easy to pretend. Well, I mean, you know, if you want to go to an extreme example, let's say this was, you know, Soviet Russia or North Korea where they have made a law that says you may never speed under any circumstance. And, you know, and if you, you know, someone's bleeding out and you say, well, I have a duty to save this person's life, you know, that, that that's sounds reasonable that's not the situation that we live in in this country so that's not really on the table or even have to say that i'm going to obey god rather than man because you know the the courts aren't going to convict you and even if they do you pay the ticket and move on so one of the other arguments that i've heard many times when you say don't speed is people go but but the traffic's moving so much faster and it's dangerous not to speed so what would be the answer to that you are the traffic I mean, traffic is, is not it's not a thing independent of all of the individual decisions of a bunch of drivers. And we want to say that Christians should make the decisions that everybody else makes. And that's just, sorry, that's just not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Christians are supposed to walk in a different way. Again, going back to the example you gave where there could be, could there be a situation where in a very short instance of time where you need to accelerate to get out of an unsafe area sure is that believable is that justification for speeding in general i've done that before so i hope right you know what i mean i mean it's speed in general but in that case it's like yeah i'm gonna it's just dangerous to be here and if i have to speed for a minute to do it but i think there's a lot of people that then take that and i know there are that take it and then extend it to well everybody else is driving 70 even though it's 45 and so i'm going to drive 70 
And there's a point where Christians have to go, no, we're going to be different. We're willing to be different. And, you know, there's a there's a time where you need to, you know, take on a small risk statistically and say, well, I don't believe that God's going to, I think God will bless me for obeying and not punish me for, not punish me when I'm obeying. You know, there's, you know, because doc, like if you go to the abortion, well, there's doctors will say, well, this elevates, this pregnancy elevates your risk of death. So therefore, to save your life, we have to kill the baby. When, you know, it, it's, a, it's a relatively small risk, but, there's, and, but far higher, far higher than, you know, than the risk of driving slower. And, and the risk of standing before God and being a murderer. It's the highest <laughs> right. of all. <laughs> I think Exodus 23.2 kind of sums it up. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. Nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after me to pervert justice. It's really easy to go, everybody else is speeding, so I should do it as well. The law says, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil. Or, to, and the second part of the verse is, hey, if you see a discussion on Facebook about it, don't go in and give people bad arguments to sin. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, if you're having a discussion after church, I mean, it's really easy to, you sin in this way, you want other people to sin in this way, so you go and you make, you make a, you know, you make an evil argument so that other people do it. And that really is, in the end, a lot of ways that's how Christ was crucified, because people did that very thing. People that knew better said, yeah, we'll, we'll go along with the Pharisees, we'll go along with this, even though Christ healed the multitude, we'll go along with all these things, because, hey, we like our sin. And so be really careful. Be really careful to not, to not justify sin. should also say this. You don't have an obligation to go the speed limit and drive in the left lane and block other people from speeding. It used to be illegal. They changed laws, which is a mistake in my mind. But there's a whole bunch of recently added that law. There's so like there's twenty some twenty seven or twenty eight states. I think maybe more. I mean, there's you can go online and you can find a list of states that have North Carolina does not have a law against driving in the left lane. You know that that you have. You know, there's laws that you can only be in the left lane if you're passing. There's other laws. You know, some states have laws that say it's you know against the law to do that. But in general, just more. If your attitude is, I'm going to drive the speed limit and I'm going to block other people from doing it, that's that's not God did not fundamentally give you in your vehicle as the means to prevent other people from sinning. Get over in the right lane, obey the speed limit, and let them speed. It's not your place to stop them. And it is interesting because when I was growing up, almost all the states had it that you weren't allowed to be in the left-hand lane unless you were passing. Right. You had to be going faster than other people or you couldn't stay over there that they would ticket you for that. But right. then there was a point where the state started to eliminate it for some reason. I'm not even sure what the motivation was there. But but you do get an absurdity where people are getting ticketed for driving the speed limit in the wrong place while speeders are being let go by. So there is a certain injustice. And the other thing that we should remember is we are to be salt and light. We are to be different. And part of the way that you get people not to speed is for people to choose not to speed, right? Like you said, we are the traffic. If the church had enough influence in an area and people start to not speed, other people that that really aren't happy with speeding, they're just speeding because, you know, they feel like that's how fast the traffic is moving, so I better go that same speed. Because you can have influence on the traffic. You can have influence on the people around you. And, you know, especially if your car looks like a cop car, then you can have a great influence on them. But, but in all seriousness, you know, start obeying, and it does have an impact. What if you have an influence by passing someone going 54 miles an hour while you're going 55 miles an hour? <laughs> and you get a huge line of cars behind you that want to go 75 miles an hour. And again, we're using speeding because it's, it's such an accepted practice in churches. We just have to recognize that that hating lawlessness is what Christians are supposed to be, right? Hebrews 1, 8, 9, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. It's really easy to think that hating lawlessness means hating people that are rejecting God's law. But it's more than that, just like that other verse that says that if you despise authorities— you don't know God. And if you hate law, and not just God's law, but if you hate the idea that you're under law, then you're contrary to Christ. Christ hated lawlessness. He says to the people in, in, in Matthew 7, you know, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. 
And yes, there's a, that's clearly tying to God's law. But God's law says submit to the authorities over you. That is part of God's law. I think there's, I mean, a lot of this, I would loop back to the verse we read at the beginning of Romans, which Romans 13, which when you, when you realize and you, you really drill down on the fact that God has appointed the authorities that are. And, and it's important to distinguish between authorities and powers. I mean, there are people who have power and they don't have authority and they're using it wrongfully. And we should not, we should not obey people who just have power and are being bullies. Right. right. The bully in the school, it doesn't mean you have to give them your lunch money. Right. He's not an authority. He's just a bully. He's and we've even gotten to the case power. where there are, there are, there are sort of pseudo-governmental agencies that sometimes throw around power that they don't actually have authority. And there are, so there, I mean, there really are times where you should make a distinction and you should make sure, is this actually an authority? But God has appointed authorities. And there's this part of it where I think we have this, we have this belief that we deserve better authorities than we have. And that's a really, that's a really evil thing to say to God, that I deserve better authorities than I have. Because God, God said, "No, you don't." You know what I mean, and so there right. is I mean, because He appointed them as His deacons, right? That's right. what it goes on to say in Romans thirteen that these are deacons of God; these right. are the the servants of God that were appointed by God to be the avengers of God's wrath. That's what their purpose was. It was God who chose them. I don't know if when Paul wrote it, if he was already, in a sense, on his way to his death in Rome, but he, if he wasn't, he was. It was very shortly that he was going to begin a journey that would lead him from authority to authority to authority to a point where he would be put to death unjustly, and he would submit to that entire process. And I just think, I mean, that's that's where you have to come back to when you want to raise your voice and go, I should be able to speed. I mean, that's that's who you have to argue against. That's the idea that you have to fight against. And just to bring it home, so to speak— to, to individuals, 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? Righteousness and lawlessness do not have communion together. And lawlessness is not where you're saying, I want to obey the speed limit, and you're not paying attention, you go down a hill and you go a few miles an hour over the speed limit. That's not lawlessness, that's, that's violating the law, which is wrong, which is sin, but it's not... Is not rejecting the law itself. Rejecting the law itself is a very serious thing, and it has nothing to do with righteousness. And when you say it has nothing to do with righteousness, you're using really specific meaning there for that. Right. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Yeah, that's what you mean by it has nothing to do with it. They're yes. not friends. Right. They don't belong in the same room together. They're, they're as close as light and darkness is because that's the example that Paul uses. It's easy to think about something like speeding and go, it's not that big of a deal. But when you start to think about what God says about authority and how important it is to submit to the authorities that God has appointed, it becomes a much bigger deal. It's about lawlessness. It's about whether you accept authorities over you. The gospel is about accepting Jesus Christ as an authority. And Jesus Christ has appointed authorities under himself, and we're supposed to respect those authorities. If instead we want to reject those authorities, don't think you haven't rejected Christ. Don't despise authority. Thanks for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching.